Coming up next on the Draft Act Pod, Albert and I are going to talk about Gonzaga senior sniper Corey Kisper. We are going to talk about his luscious locks, his beautiful three-point stroke, all of the things that make him a fantastic NBA draft prospect, all that and more next on the Draft Act. You give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, everybody? Um, we're back. Another episode, the Draft Act Podcast, ready to talk some stock and ready to talk about the man with the flowing hair. He might not get selected uh, in the top five of this draft, but if this draft was based only on hairstyle, he most certainly would. We're talking about Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. Albert, I know he is one of your favorite prospects. Oh, my goodness. I, this is this is the pot I've been waiting for, right? This is the one that... Uh... You know, you kind of circle on the calendar and you're excited for just because, dude, Kispert is the man. And um, I can't freaking wait to talk about Corey Kispert. So it's a good day. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, this is not going to be the last podcast uh, in this draft cycle that we talk about Corey Kispert. You know, when we have some more guests on, I'm sure there are going to be plenty of people who mention him and and go in depth on him. But this is going to be kind of your primer into Corey Kispert if you're not familiar with him. Um, because he's a guy who has historically over his college career kind of flown under the radar as a draft prospect. Uh, you know, just looking at rankings preseason on, you know, and I tried to find as many as I could. Um, Jonathan Gavoni at ESPN had him ranked 36th uh, at the start of the season. Ricky O'Donnell at SB Nation, um, his preseason ranking, they only he only did the top 30. He was outside of the top 30, not listed. Uh, CBS Sports, also unlisted in the top 30. The Stepien, he was listed in you know mid to late second round uh, prospect sections of their draft primer. So Corey Kispert is a guy who, with his play this season, has really risen on the draft boards and increased his draft stock. Uh, I think that especially this whole Gonzaga team, it's like they are the definition of team, right? Like they yeah. each each piece of the puzzle fits there. There's nothing that makes you think that somebody's trying to go get their own. They all just play team basketball and you know, it, it shows in their record because nobody's beat them. <laughs> so, um, but Corey Kispert has been an absolutely huge part of that. Now, when we think about Corey Kispert um, and his draft stock and, and we talk about the volatility index of some of these prospects, in my opinion, Kispert is one of the safer prospects that you can draft, right? Like, do you think there, like how much downside is there for someone taking a a player like Corey Kispert? Downside, man. I, I have no, no idea. Cause dude, I mean, Corey and I, we were texting a a little bit this morning too. And I I think the best way for me to describe Corey Kispert is he's a beautiful basketball player. Like, so in terms of downside, like I, I, I have no clue because I think he would be he's the type of player that you can fit on any damn team and he'll be good on any team. Like, I think that's the beauty of Kisper. So downside, uh, no clue. Yeah, I mean, look, it's all relative, right? Like the downside and and we'll talk about it later when we talk about his draft range. The downside is it's like if you lost your mind and drafted him, you know, number one overall, number two overall, that that's the downside, right? Um where there are obvious players, but he's a safe pick. You know, he's a four-year senior, right? Four-year player who played for a great program and right. is playing on a great team, showing that he can play off of a great player in Jalen Suggs. And and I think when you're looking at a player like Corey Kispert, right, you want to see if he can complement your team. Because I don't think there's going to be a team drafting Corey Kispert that's like, give him the rock, get out of his way, let him go get a bucket, right? That's not his game. Right. Corey Kispert's game is I am going to be an elite shooter. And we've seen that if you are an elite shooter at the NBA level, you have a role on a team somewhere. And if you don't, you know, find that role in your first spot, you're going to find your way eventually. If you can knock down shots in an elite level, you will have a long NBA career. And that's right. what, you know, that's what I see 
um, for Corey Kispert. So let's let's talk about his shooting. Um, do you do you want to talk about his? What do you want to talk about with his shooting? Uh, what's Jeez. the first thing that comes to mind? Because sniper, for me, it, sniper for sure. I, I think for me, when I think look, look at Kispert, man, I love his balance, dude. The footwork is ridiculous, and mm. he, it just seems like it doesn't matter what the situation is or what's going on around him. He's always going to have his feet set, and I think that's something that's so beautiful to see, and um, which I think really sets him apart as the best shooter in the class because it, it's like it's perfect. His perfect feet, and he always figures out a way to get his feet set. I was watching this video; it was called like Kennel Talk or whatever, and he was like, it, it was like a Gonzaga YouTube channel video, right? And he was talking about like his origins as a shooter and how his dad was a college player, was a great shooter, and, and it's the footwork. Right. He was saying how like even coming off screens right off uh, in the corner, whatever he's doing, it's all about getting square and having his feet set. And when you watch Kispert and you watch the tape, whether it's off the catch, off a screen, even off the dribble, his ability to get his feet set and for him to get balanced, I, I think is just it's freaking beautiful, dude. I love it. Balance is really important. And getting your feet set as a shooter when you can is is big time and you know to me like a guy who's a different kind of of shooter but who has to me like the most insanely consistent footwork is donovan mitchell right donovan mitchell's like anytime he is getting into his shot whether it's you know off the catch or off the bounce his feet are always perfect it's crazy and it's like one of the things that if you were projecting him forward you're like it just at any level, like even if you're looking for him to improve as a shoot, like he just has, he's always able to get himself set. And yeah, yeah, Kispert's ability to do that is, is huge, especially for a guy like him. Like he's not overly athletic, right? Yeah. Like he's not going to blow you away by um, jumping out of the gym. You know what I mean? So his ability to square up and know that he has to get squared up, prior to whatever like he knows what he's doing ahead of time right he's not right. going to be shocked um so his footwork yeah it's it's definitely one of those those things that you love to see out of a shooter and and he's an elite shooter i mean he's he's jacking him up and and he's knocking it down at a high clip um yeah. so his three-point shooting is is uh pretty preposterous and you know i think right away you look at him and you say how can he make a, a difference and how can he make an impact on day one at the NBA level. Right. And to me, like right away, he's going to be able to just spread the floor as a catch and shoot guy. And like you said, his footwork, I mean, his release, uh, you know, the, the follow through, all that is going to be there. So if you just stick him in a corner, he's going to be a guy that NBA defenses are going to respect the minute he steps on the floor. Yeah. hundred percent. And Corey, I think something that I think you can, you can speak to that. I, you know, I think both of us can the, most exciting part about Kispert as a prospect, of course, like we started all this by talking about his shooting, right? I go back to that like season tip-off tournament and when they were playing against Kansas, that game really popped for me. And like, I know Kispert's have, had really good games this season. He had that uh, nine three-point game against West Virginia. He's had huge, huge outputs, right? But sure. that Kansas game, I go back to that one from back in November just because that game really showed me why I love Kisper so much because he can do so much more than just shoot. Um, mm. The shooting is obviously lights out, but that game, dude, he was like ripping rebounds, grabbing and going. I remember one, he grabbed a rebound, went down the court, Euro step into the layup plus a foul, right? He yeah. was doing, he, he was taking the ball to the basket. He got fouled pretty hard on a dunk attempt. But like the thing that I love about Kispert is that, Number one, yeah, of course, the shooting pops and everyone's going to talk about the shooting. That'll be, that's Kispert's headline, right? If this was yeah. like a, a New York Post, a Daily News back page, the headline is that he's a shooter. But Kispert's ability off the dribble, he's really progressing. Um, I love that he, his, he's a big body too. He's not some like skinny, flimsy sh shooter that's just going to run around and shoot. He's got a big body. He's stocky, which I like. And he's elite size, six seven, right? A legit yeah, it's a good six, wing seven. Size. Yeah, and so there's so much that he does. And then, you know, Corey, I think you're going to talk about this in more detail, but even defensively, like the guy moves his feet. I think he's a good team defender. He can take a charge. I, the list goes on and on. But I, overall, Corey, I, maybe it's better if you speak on this, but <laughs> man, he's, he's, got, he's got so much to like. And um, yeah, man, it, it's hard not to get excited. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, he's, I think he's going to be an elite role player um, at the next level, uh, or he certainly has the potential to, but you know, back to his shooting, you know, we've mentioned this on past episodes. One of the things that I love when looking at shooting, at least when I'm looking at elite shooting is 90% free throws. Yeah. And yeah. he's right. He's right there. You know, he's, he's a smidge under 90%. Um, he, he's a high eighties guy, high, you know, low nineties. And that's, that's big time. Um, because again, that's how I look at guys and be like, you can be an elite shooter. You know, there's, there's a lot of guys who could shoot 40% from three, but there's, you know, 77, 82 from the free throw line. And like we said, like, it, I think when you're at 90%, you're, you're just a, a naturally born gifted shooter. Obviously you put work in, you get better, you hone your craft. But when you're hovering around that 90% line, it means that you have versatility to your shot making ability. Um, and, and that to me with a guy like him is, is gotta be his calling card. Um, because, you know, like you said, he has so much good to him, but how much other great is there? Right. And that's, that's a question that I, I honestly, I think is pretty simple. You know, there's, I don't think he is going to be a standout guy um, where you're looking like, you know, you said, he's a good team defender. He's probably not going to be a great defender, right? He's always going to be top out in a lot of areas at as good, but that's fine when you're a role player. If you mm-hmm. have an, a, one elite skill that you can rely on, you know, it's sometimes it's better to have that one elite skill than be like the, uh, you know, good at everything, but, but not great right. at anything. Um, so th- that bodes well for him. But, you know, I, I do also think that there are things that he can improve upon as a shooter, which sounds crazy because he's, you know, 45% from three on high volume. And uh, you mentioned like how he finishes. He's finishing 80% on his close twos. Like that's, that's crazy. That's yeah. really crazy. Um, and you could say like, you know, maybe Gonzaga doesn't play the best competition. Um Oh, well, he's playing off of Jalen Suggs and he's creating all he's finishing in traffic too, like and and creating, you know, getting into people's bodies and, and creating opportunities for himself. So it's not only that, like some of that. Yeah, sure. But at the next level, like you're expecting him to play off of a great player there as well, hopefully. Right. So like that is going to be something that hopefully translates. Now, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's shooting 80 percent on close twos at the next yeah. level. That's a preposterous mm-hmm. number for literally like. Anybody. centers you know like centers mm-hmm. don't don't do that typically um it, you know that that's like wilt chamberlain probably didn't he wasn't finishing mm-hmm. that right like wasn't mitchell robinson didn't he break wilt's record it was like oh, 70 71 yeah. field goal percent. I, I don't know it it's so it's preposterous um but uh he's going to be a good finisher at, at, at the next level as well but a, as a shooter I, I think one of the things that he needs to improve on and he's he it's not like he's bad at it but I think right. his movement shooting, um, I want it to get quicker. Mm. I want the release to be quicker. At, at the college level, he's able to, you know, fire off screens. Um, and almost like you said, get his feet right and set up and and fire away. And that's like, that's great. Like, but I think at the next level, you're going to be in a lot of situations as a movement shooter where you're not setting your feet. You just can't. It's not going to be possible. Look at a guy like J.J. Redick, Duncan Robinson, uh, you know, anybody who's running off a ton of screens, how many screens are they shooting where their their feet are flailing in the air, right. right? Because they're shooting off balance. And that's something I think that he is going to have to get better at um, over the course of his career. And if there's one thing that I could see him kind of struggling with, it might be that depending on, you know, the situation that he goes to and, and what kind of shot opportunities he gets. And I think those shots, um, those kind of shots off movement, and especially the ones where he's coming off dribble handoffs are going to be like, that's really those DHOs are really right. where I want to see him be able to, to really get quicker with his shot. Um, because that's going to open opportunities up to his passing, which I think he's a pretty solid passer, right? <laughs> Yeah, dude, I agree. I, I think the the Duncan Robinson comp that you brought up is a good one. I mean, we saw that in the finals last year against the Lakers. I mean, it, just in that whole playoff run, the insane shots that he was hitting off the DHOs, as you mentioned, off a of movement, off of him, just like really at like end of the shot clock situations too. He hit a lot of really big threes. So I, I definitely agree on that. The thing that I like about Kispert and the reason why 
Um, I think he can develop in the area that you're talking about. I really think his form is really compact. I, I think everything about his shooting is really compact, and I and I like how efficient it is. If that makes sense, you know, I think there's mm-hmm. not there, there aren't too many mechanics go, mechanics going on when he's shooting, and so I, I think he could definitely develop in terms of you know having a quicker release and all that. And I also think like as you mentioned the Gonzaga thing, right? He's playing on a really good team. Um, you know, we we mentioned Suggs. I even like Ayayi a lot. Mm-hmm. I actually really like Ayayi yeah. a lot, and um, I, I feel like Kispert, you know. Maybe he just hasn't had that many situations where he's had to do all that, but it'll come. I, I think it'll come, and we'll see what uh, the rest of March looks like. And you yeah, know, maybe they'll, <laughs> you know, they're going to play some better competition and see where that goes. But uh, I agree with you, man. I, I think he, there is some work there for him to kind of improve. But my my upside with him is just he's so compact, so efficient. And I think that's something he could definitely work on and improve upon. And if he does, Corey, I mean, Jesus, I mean, we saw the value of Duncan Robinson last year. We've seen the value of J.J. Redick for years. Ray yeah. Allen, the list goes on Clay, and on. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> yeah, Jeez, yeah. Clay. yeah, I so. mean, Clay, you know, Clay, Ray Allen, those are guys who also have, you know, legitimate off-the-bounce skills. I right. mean, Ray Allen, If I, I wish that some of the younger kids who, I know, yes. who are listening to this or, or watching this, I wish that some of you guys – <laughs> understood how good Ray Allen was in his yeah. prime. Like some of the people who hear Ray Allen now, like they might not have Miami. even really been old enough to even comprehend the Miami Ray Allen, which is so yeah. post prime. Mm-hmm. And then even like, like even Boston Ray Allen, where he wasn't doing as much off the bounce stuff where he was still just, I mean, he was able to throw up 50 point games in, in playoff right. games, you know, still right. doing that. Uh, but Milwaukee, Seattle, Ray Allen. I mean, this is the dude, Jesus Shuttlesworth for real. Like this dude, he was dunking on people. He was breaking guys down. He was playmaking. Like when I think of shooting guard built in a lab as the ultimate, like definitional shooting guard, it's Ray Allen. Allen. Like he's Mm -hmm. the guy you would, you would build in a lab. And, and Ray was ahead of his time as a shooter, just like on volume. Like you go back and look at his basketball reference. Like he was a guy getting seven, eight, three point attempts up in the era where, you know, the whole team was probably doing what taking like 14, 15, like if that, you know, and he was getting up that many in this era, Ray Allen shooting 11, 11 and a half, 12 threes a game. He's probably, scoring he'd probably have a season where he's you know 32 33 points a game and and doing the playmaking like you know he's doing what bradley beal's doing except you know probably better because he's what the second maybe the second greatest shooter ever and and who knows if he was playing in this era like i you know and getting the volume up that steph was like that to me that's a that would be a combo and and i think steph with that said is the undisputed greatest shooter of all time but man ray allen i just Please, if you're watching this and you forgot, mm. go watch some of those those old highlights, that old tape, and then go watch He Got Game because it's just a, a phenomenal <laughs> New York basketball movie. Um, but I, I think with Kispert, he certainly doesn't have that off the bounce game. You know, like Clay is a guy who doesn't need to dribble. You know, and he, as evidenced by his his what his sixty point game on eleven right. dribbles, yeah. But but he is a guy that if you give the ball and you're like, hey, we need a bucket, shot clock, like he can go get it. I'm not. I don't think Kispert's there. That to me is not going to be Kispert's game. And and you know, like if you look at his shooting percentages, his long twos, he's at thirty percent. Mm-hmm. And to me, what that says is like he's a guy that can't really create the separation on his own when he needs to, you know, go get himself a bucket uh you know because it's not like he's getting a lot of opportunities to just spot up and you know pick and pop catch and shoot in in that long two range a lot of that is probably off the bounce off the dribble and you know i think he he's kind of struggled there because you know when you got somebody on your hip and and you need to get that shot up off the dribble it's harder to get your feet set it's harder to do all the things that you know kind of make shooting a three point shot for him seemed like he's shooting a free throw. It's harder to do that when, when you're being guarded one-on-one and, and to me, like he definitely has room to improve as, as a guy who, you know, if I do have a screen, can I go and, and get that shot up? And, and mm. you know, look, you can't, he's not a perfect prospect. That's why we're not talking about him in the top five. He's a, he's a four year guy. You know, there's 
not a lot of four-year guys anymore. Um, right. We we saw we saw a hell of a four-year guy uh, in Desmond Bain last year, mm-hmm. um, who's having you know translating right away as a shooter. Um, Pritchard, and, yeah, Pritchard. You know, there's there's definitely four-year guys who come in and and contribute in a in a big way. But you know, that's why we're not talking. We we aren't talking about any of those guys as top prospects. I I, I it's almost a, an interesting thought experiment, right? Like there aren't any four-year guys that'll ever be a number one pick anymore. Right. Like that. We'll just never see that again in our lifetime. Right. Because, because like, even if, if it was like, you know, uh, if Cade was just like, you know what? I like college. I want to, I want to just chill there for four years. Like, would he go number one, four years from now? Like, or would teams be like, well, what's up with him? Why did he do that? Like, is Mm -hmm. he really that good? Like, what is, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever see that again. That's kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah, um, I, even more so now because the G League ignite and guys are you know going to be going to the G League now. Like a hundred percent, I feel like we'll see less and less of that. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's you know some something interesting to think about. But yeah. um, yeah, I mean, offensively, you know, that's as a shooter, he's shooting seventy percent, nearly seventy percent true shooting percentage, and yeah. uh, that's I mean, that's as good as a bucket anytime he lets it fly, right? Uh, you know we. I mentioned, you know, briefly, like, you know, we, we talked about his passing and um, I think he's a smart passer. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's not a high assist guy. He's not going to be a high assist guy at the next level because he won't have the ball in his hands a lot. But I, I really hope that wherever he goes and gets drafted, he has a a good big to play off of because mm-hmm. um, and like we said, with the movement shooting and the coming off the dribble handoffs, I just envision him, you know, playing with a guy like Jokic or Embiid or, or Bam. And as a guy who like, you know, coming off the screen, you know, that it's either going to be a a situation where Kispert's getting a shot up and that screen freed him up for that space. Or, you know, the, the big is now worried about Kispert getting that shot up off the dribble handoff. And he's able to just hit, hit the roll man with ease. And, you know, that's what we've seen with uh JJ Redick and and Embiid we saw it with JJ and uh, and Blake or JJ and um and DeAndre in right. in uh in LA uh, we see it with the the two guy the two shooters in Miami and with Hero and and Duncan Robinson and Bam and then Bam is like unbelievably dangerous cuz he's a playmaker out of the pick oh, and roll okay. out of the out of the short roll after it right and i just envision Kispert as a guy like if he finds the right partner like man like like I, I just I like I really he's not, I don't think he's going to drop mm-hmm. to wherever Denver is but like man I really want to see him with a guy like like Jokic or something you know Corey let me throw this one at you okay yeah so I was thinking about this all day long okay is it is it now this is do- definitely not a direct comparison right but mm-hmm. let's imagine I thought of Kispert as a more athletic better version of Doug McDermott. So I like, I still like Doug McDermott and he's having a good season for Indiana. I think he feeds, feeds off Sabonis really well. He's averaging like 13 points a game right now. If you get a better version of McDermott, right? That's a really good player. And I think that's kind of where we're envisioning Kisper right now. Of course, it's not a direct, you know, uh, a connection or, you know, comparison there, but I, I think a better version of McDermott is pretty damn good. I mean, Right, Look, you'd sign I, up for that. I, absolutely, I think McDermott's yeah. made himself into a really fine player. I think yeah. that you know when he was drafted to Chicago, I was excited. I you know I look back in that with with regret with that trade because we gave up two picks that I think could have gotten really solid players that would have yeah. you know extended the the Jimmy Butler era a little bit had we um, had we nailed them. You know, let's just yeah. say we took the the same picks that uh Denver used with Nurkic and Gary Harris I mean right there yeah, it's like you add that to and, and those are two guys I remember vividly thinking you know in Chicago's range were probably going to be guys that we were considering but I was right. still stoked on McDermott I love McDermott in college and I actually was looking up McDermott's numbers to kind of compare um, with Kispert and you know strikingly similar yeah. with a, with a lot of the numbers you know like uh the true shooting percentages were McDermott was a monstrously 
uh, efficient player in college. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things in college where, and this is where I think Kispert's going to have an easier transition into the league where there's less uncertainty about what kind of player he is in college. McDermott did a lot of work around yes. the basket, yeah. you know, and he had like these weird floaters and mm-hmm. he was able to kind of use his size to kind of get Most easy, sh- you know? Yeah. And just get easy looks at the hoop and whatnot. Kispert's not that guy, right? Like you're not giving him, you know, running him off a screen to, uh, you know, get a many layups or, or post get mismatches where you're posting guys like maybe you were with McDermott. Um, so like they're different in how they're used because I think that Kispert at six seven is more wing size than like yes. wing slash big size. And when McDermott got to Chicago, Chicago really wanted to use him kind of like they used Kyle Korver coming mm. off of the Korver era. You know, it, Tibbs was still the coach. Um, the Bulls, uh, I believe they traded Korver for a, a trade exception that they never used. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm remembering that right, but I think that's what they envisioned. They were like, well, we can just get a, you know, we'll get the cheaper, the younger Korver. Uh, right. And they were using him not really the way he was used in college. And they were using him strictly as like a small forward, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think that was a, a rough transition for McDermott where Kispert right away, you know, like, you know, he's going to probably be like a two or a three. Right? right. And, and probably a three. So I yeah. think he'll have an easier transition just positionally knowing who he is than, than McDermott had. I can't, you know, I don't think a team is going to pigeonhole Kispert into a role that he's not ready for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but as players, I think just like, you know, efficiency wise, shooting touch. Um, and like we said, we mentioned at the beginning, McDermott was a guy, he bounced around a little bit. He played in a bunch of different places, but yeah. you are going to have a spot in the league for as pretty much as long as you can get shots off when you are a, as good a shooter as you are, as a guy like McDermott is, as a guy like Kispert is. So it might not happen with the first team might not happen with the second team. In McDermott's case, I know I think this is four, right? Is yeah. I think this is fourth so. team, um, but it'll happen eventually, and you'll find your place and you'll carve out a role if you can knock down shots. And as we more and more continue to build upon the three point era, I mean, it's it's just hard to seeing Kispert fail, and that's why that's why as far as looking at him at a, you know like a stock, like I don't think he's like that blue chip you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, Apple, Tesla, whatever. Like he's like Starbucks though. Like Starbucks mm-hmm. isn't, Starbucks isn't going to fail. Right. People are going to drink their coffee, right? It's a good stock. It's pro like, I can't really see them do doing too much where the company's just going to go under, right? They, they keep building out like located. It's like a steady stock that you're probably going to get a good return on investment in, in the long term. Um, and is just people want their coffee forever and Kispert's going to be a guy people are going to want their Kispert you know he's he's going to demand a big contract when he's up for his you know second contract you know Berton's got paid a ton of money to knock down threes shooters get paid and he's going to be a guy that is he's going to be in the league uh a long time because of that so Corey I have a a question and and I think this is a conversation we should have just because I feel like we're we're living you, you talk so much about how the way that the league is moving right now shooting is such a premium, right? And the way yeah. that you build your team and the way that you build your roster, these things are changing. And I think GMs and front offices, they're taking different perspectives at these things, right? Yeah. So I think this year's draft is so interesting because the top five, that's a lock, right? And I can't wait till we talk more about the top I five so. and what that, <laughs> what that, I mean, yeah. And I, what that I, looks I, like. I have a confession. Okay. I, I have a big, big time crush on Jalen Green right now. Yeah. No, I'm big. I don't want to go into it too deep because we'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it. Uh, you know, we already had our, our first mm-hmm. episode on, on the G league guys, but like, I've been, yeah. I've been working on uh, my G league film sessions. So I've been watching the the games with Kaminga and green and I got a big time crush on Jalen green. So that that's an aside. Okay. Really that's quickly, just to address your aside, Tori, what uh, Corey, what yeah. if, what if Jalen green is the second coming of Zach Levine? Yeah, he's <laughs> he, he looks like it, man. He, he's he looks like it. I was thinking about that today. I was like, man, if he's the second coming of Zach Levine, do I sign up for that with the third, fourth pick in the draft? Yeah, absolutely. I think I will. Oh, yeah, I think I would. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. An all star who an all star yeah. who's averaging 
30 points a game yeah. on like yeah. oh, 66, 67 percent right. true shooting. Yeah, I think you'd sign up for that. But OK, sorry, just going back to what I was saying. So in terms of team building, right? So mm-hmm. we look at this we look at this draft. And from anywhere from six to like 14, I think it, it gets really, really interesting, right? And we're seeing all kinds of mock drafts now slowly coming up. And I saw, I think it was like Mavs Magic Draft that put up a, a mock draft today. And um, I just, it, it really got me thinking. There are some names in this draft, like a Keon Johnson, a Jalen Johnson, uh, Scotty Barnes, right? All these mm-hmm. like, these six, nine, right? The, these yeah. bigger guys and... I think a lot of teams will bank on those guys in terms of potential, right? Like, oh, they might become an X, Y, and Z. They, they might become a blah, blah, blah. But with Kispert, he's a little bit more of a known commodity, right? We yeah. know yeah. what we're going to get from Kispert. We know what his elite, elite skill is. And once we get to the next level, I think we know what that's going to look like. My, my thing that I'm thinking about right now is, like, we're going to see 9 million different mock drafts between now and draft day, right? And we're going to see a lot of people putting – a Jalen Johnson, a Scotty Barnes, or uh, even um, who's the other name that I, a Keon Johnson above a Kispert, right? For me, so like Scotty Barnes, I like a lot, right? Because I I think the playmaking ability is really there with him. And obviously the the defense is special. But at the same time, a part of me is like, are we missing something with like the way that we're looking at college prospects and the way we're looking at roster building? Like, why wouldn't a Kispert be a smart pick at number seven, a number eight? Like, that's how I feel, right? And even, yeah. like, last year when I thought about, like, a maxi or whatever, these these really, like, high upside, like, offensively talented guys, I'm like, dude, I, Kispert for me, if, like, let's say somehow the Knicks have a terrible season or the Mavs have a terrible end of the season and we're like in the top 10, I would have no problems grabbing Kispert and saying like, Hey, you're going to, you're just going to run off screens with Julius Randle. You're going to space space the floor for us. And we're going to be great next year. Like uh, you get what I'm saying? Like, I feel like this is something that, yeah, yeah, I think this is something that we have to really consider moving forward because I think some teams are still lagging behind. Well, yeah, I I mean, see, I, I haven't, I haven't watched in depth enough of this draft um, to really be like, I have my board all set up, you know, like I, I only have, I like, I scout guys by watching their games in chunks. Um, So like, I haven't gotten deep enough yet to start placing um, guys on my board, but I think guys, some of the guys that you mentioned, like uh, Scotty Barnes, you know, I watched Scotty, you know, in depth um, with the FIBA U19s. Yeah. Um, I've watched him a little bit this season, not enough in depth to to really like sit in, and have uh, a super informed opinion of where I'm going to ultimately place him on my board. He does so many nice things, but ultimately, like, I don't, what position is he? Mm. Um, where does he play? Can you play him at small ball center? Because he doesn't protect the rim right and so like all right if you're gonna do the draymond thing like well draymond's like a he was like the perfect connector for the perfect team and he would have made like he'll make any team better but like situationally is where he'll thrive Hmm. um how much of scotty barnes playmaking is going to translate at the next level how is he going to be used as a playmaker certainly in transition certainly in the short role is his shot good. Like there's so many questions. There are question marks um, to all to go along with all of the good. Like you could, I could easily see him struggling if he just goes to a place that like, it just doesn't fit his talents. He doesn't have shooters around him. Uh, There's nobody there to protect the rim and he's supposed to be the defensive anchor or, you know, I I don't know I could see that. Like you said, like Kispert's a known commodity who is going to thrive anywhere. But ultimately in the draft, GMs are going to bet on potential, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, um, if you take a safe prospect like Kispert and he doesn't work out, Mm. I think you're really in the hot seat. Mm -hmm. If you take a guy like Jalen Johnson, who's so high upside and swing for the fence, you'd be like, he's a project we have to build and you Mm -hmm. buy yourself some time. So I just, but not only that, like there's a reason that, 
the ceiling of a guy like either of those two guys are is considered higher than a guy like Kispert, right? Um, now a- another guy who I think like maybe ultimately in the NBA is going to kind of be used like him if he's going to thrive is Zaire Williams. Mm. And I don't know if he necessarily will know that right now. Yeah. And and I don't know how many other people feel that way, but I just like, he's a guy who his shooting percentages have been like atrocious, Yeah, you know, like Cam Reddish bad. Right. Like, and he's one of those guys like, all right, looks good, but isn't mm-hmm. he, like the, he just, he's, he's really struggled. And, you know, even watching him, I've like, you know, in, in the games that he played AAU with uh, Jalen green and in, in the FIBA, you know, tournament, I was just like, I, I don't get it. So some, mm-hmm. I, I want somebody to explain it. And then he came to Stanford and I was just like, all these people are like, and even sometimes still I'll see like tweets, like, Oh, he, he's got this effortless ability to create space. And I'm just like, what? I'm, I don't, I think I'm, I, and again, I haven't watched his games in college as in depth as I will mm-hmm. eventually when I, I, you know, when I get my film session on him, but everything I see, I'm just like, I, like the numbers bear out what I'm seeing in that he's having trouble getting to the things that he's supposed to be good at. So if I'm looking at a guy like Zaire Williams and Kispert and I'm like, ultimately I think that cause Williams shot is like, he does have a, a shot that looks good yeah. and that I could see translating at the next level on the eye test. Like even if the numbers don't show me that I could see, but I think that it's like going to be based off of, his role and playing off the ball ultimately. Like I ultimately don't foresee him being a guy who's going to have like a ton, a ton, a ton of like high usage on, on ball reps. If he's going to really thrive, I think he's going to be a guy that need, is going to need to catch and shoot, shoot off uh, movement, stuff like that. And if you're now, if you're comparing that kind of player versus Kispert, now it, it gets more interesting to me, um, you know, and you could, and then the argument becomes, is what Zaire does on the defensive end. Is that going to be more beneficial if he just becomes, you know, a guy who's hitting 37% of his threes than Kispert, who's probably going to be a 40 plus percent guy from the jump, but maybe there are defensive question marks. Cause I do think there are defensive question marks. Like he's mentioned smart team defender. And I, I agree knows where to go. That's what you get for your guy, major program. Yeah. He's going to know where to be on the floor, especially a four-year program that is undefeated, you know, this season, like he, you are, you are locked in on that. end. you have to be, you don't win, uh, you know, all of 26 games, 26 and oh, um, you know, but at the next level in a league where it's so positionless, so many teams switch is Kispert going to be able to stay in front of Dame Lillard on an Island, Mm -hmm. you know, because teams are going to hunt him. And if, if he's on a playoff team, he'll get hunted. Is he going to be a guy who gets a switch and when Kawhi brings him into the mid post, he's going to do be able to do anything to stop him from getting to any spot he wants. Now, to be fair, that list includes maybe like two to three people, yeah. <laughs> right? So like ultimately, right. but ultimately, is he going to be able to switch onto those bigger three fours um and is he going to be able to stay in front of quick guards so damn okay just just really quickly going back to what i was talking about before i i freaking okay this is a personal thing this really is a personal thing i i cannot for the love of my life uh, for for the sake of my i can't understand the hype around Jalen Johnson at all. And this is a personal thing. Like I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who feel differently. Mm-hmm. My thing with Jalen Johnson is like, I feel like so many people are getting excited about like his highlights against Copen state. And I'm like, look, th- a lot of guys can do what he did against Copen state. Like let, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. And, and I get, I get what you're saying, Corey. Like I know yeah. the GMs are going to kind of, they're going to, they're going to, they're trying to hit the home run. You know, they're really trying to hit the home run. They're swinging for the fences. And I get that. My only thing mm-hmm. is like, once again, like just 
considering the league that we're in right now and how much of a premium it is when we talk about shooting and like, Hey, you mentioned Zaire Williams. Another name like that coming into the season was like BJ Boston. Mm. So many people were high on BJ Boston saying like, Oh, his shot is effortless, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. you watch him now. He's shooting better, right? I think he yeah, he's played threes. better. Yeah. He's yeah played he better. Hit six threes the other night for like 21 points, but I mean, look it at him. Special. Exactly. He looks like, he looks like he's 50 pounds underweight and you know, it's like, He's like little, a lot. little Brandon Ingram, which, <laughs> yeah. which, which makes a big difference when you're little Brandon Ingram instead of like yeah. regular right. size Brandon Ingram. Exactly, exactly. And like, if anything, so you know what's really interesting? I was even thinking about like BJ Boston versus jo- Josh Christopher. Like, which one mm. would I be more excited about in the next level? And like, for me, I'm leaning a little bit more towards Christopher, right? Like, yeah, maybe I like Christopher. Set- yeah, I think I, I, I think I think I like Christopher more than most people are going to like Christopher. Same, I, like again, I like I'm very early in in my scouting on a lot of yeah. guys because I I I chunk it like I I do prospects in chunks. So by the end, like I'll have really informed opinions on all of these guys, and I only like talking about the guys that I've watched already. Right. But from everything I see of Christopher, one his game screams NBA game. Hmm. Um, and he's just the kind of player that I typically like. And like, he's the kind of guy, like, it's not like completely, um, a one-to-one comp, but like Kevin Porter Jr. Right now. Right. Like that's, I, you get some of those vibes for me personally, like from Christopher with like the, the the shifty off the bounce, like able to hit shots like that, you know, kind of stuff like that. I was thinking a little Jr. I thought, yeah, I thought, well, yeah, you know, you know the shot I think, making, you know, well, I, I think all similar, those, yeah. you know, all similar archetypes, right? Like, yeah. all, you know, those got the, those guys who are going to be natural buckets and like the, uh, the ability for them to hone their craft, hone their shot selection will ultimately decide yeah. what kind of player they become. It could be, you know, it could be Jordan Clarkson to Zach Levine ultimately mm-hmm. like depending on you know Zach Levine elite athlete not not many people could touch him but he had he was a guy who had two paths like was he going to be microwave bench scorer or was he going to be 30 point per game all-star and he through just sheer force will and just hard work has turned himself into the all-star version um but very easily there was all the questions up up until a couple of years ago I mean people didn't want to match Zach Levine's contract yeah, and right. you know he's right he's making 19 million dollars a year you know much like julius randall who's making you know very little compare compared to the value he's bringing he's making 19 million dollars a year right now yep devin booker's making over 30 million dollars a year if like is right. there a how much of a gap is there between zach levine and devin booker for the price that you're paying right mm-hmm. um but yeah with christopher it, it, these are the kind of you know outcomes you're you're looking at i think but i, I always like those kind of guards just because mm-hmm. one i think it's a very new york style Mm. Um, you know, like it, it's that, that yeah. Rucker park, you know, style that I grew up on. So I think that pickup style, just, it's just like, you don't play ball. Like you don't play basketball. You hoop, yeah. you know, like those, yeah. that's what I think with those guys, they hoop. Yeah. Um, and you, like, they're just always going to be in the gym, you know, uh, yeah. it, the Seattle, it's like Seattle, New York style, um, mm-hmm. with guys who just hoop, they know how to just go get a bucket. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I like Christopher. But yeah, yeah, I mean, just to you know, finish my point, like I think we've seen teams swing for the fences and miss. And like, hey, let's just go back one season ago to last year's draft. Halliburton drops to 12. And yeah. he's a guy who was in college a little bit longer and teams wanted to swing for the fences. Teams wanted to grab a Killian Hayes. Imagine how the Pistons would feel if they had Halliburton instead of Hayes. I know it's still early. I know how, uh, you yeah. know, Hayes still has a lot of, you know, potential, blah, blah, blah. But my thing is like that, that's kind of where my headspace is right now when it comes to Kispert. It's like, I, I get it. There are these, these guys that you want to take a chance on. I actually like Keon Johnson. I was watching Tennessee play over the weekend. I was like, oh, he, wow. Like he, he pops and Mm. he does stuff on the court and you're like, holy dude, not a lot of guys can do that. So I, I understand it. But my thing with Kispert is like, so it's kind of, you know, what's the perfect situation for Kispert. It's like a, it's like a, one of those playoff teams that end up with a high draft pick because of a trade or just Mm. one of those good teams that fall into the lottery because of a, an injury, something like that. Like, let's say the Timberwolves have like a strong finish to the season and they end up at like the eighth, ninth pick. And then they have to give that up to the Warriors. Then we know, we know it's going to happen. Yes. Like, <laughs> right. We know it's going to happen there and that'll be a lot of fun. And so 
that that's just where I'm at, Corey. And I just you know kind of want to talk about I, that. Yeah. I agree with you. I, and, and one of the things I, I was you know I wanted to talk about is like where are you going to get the best bang for your buck with your Kispert investment? What yeah. teams are going to bring the best out of them? And so I'm pulling up Tankathon right now. Mm-hmm. and looking at the teams that are in like the 10 to you know let's say 18 range because that's where uh the Knicks pick is right now oh yeah oh, okay yeah. and and there I, I don't think it's a, a really high chance that Kispert falls to 18 but certainly you know I, I think Wasserman maybe had him around his range and his updated ranking you know so it's there are people who feel that and who knows maybe maybe he he ends up there he'd fit well in New York right he fit oh. well there, you know. The Knicks need need some more shooters to go to play off IQ, and I think quickly is oh. actually another guy. Like he's not a four year guy, but a two year guy who you know dropped a little bit, I think, because wasn't a freshman, didn't get to show off everything, and had a you know, but was ultimately a safe pick because he was a guy who was always going to be a good shooter. And I think when you're a good right. shooter, ultimately you're always going to find a role. That's I think one of the big you know my big theses of uh, I don't know how to say the plural of that of. Uh, <laughs> Um, going for this podcast but other spots and we're seeing it with bane it's draft twitter's team the memphis grizzlies with kispert because and and they have all of the draft twitter guys who are the who to me like a lot of the draft twitter guys who get drafted i almost feel like because they all end up in memphis i almost feel like if they're not ending up in memphis like their career trajectory could be looked at so differently at least early on because they just go to memphis and now they get to play off of jaw and jaw's a guy who by himself is able to do whatever he wants to the people in front of him the gravity that defenders feel having to guard him not able to stay in front that help defense has to come over to help and now all of a sudden you got desmond bain shooting 44 percent as a rookie like with ease able to basically do what he was doing in college at the NBA level. And I like to me, like playing off of those kind of elite guards, it just makes life so easy. So like looking at Memphis's 13th right now, that would be just lovely to see him there. Um, you know, playing in Atlanta, you know, look, we, we've, we've talked about, we've talked about how, you know, people and feel about playing with Trey, but like, the guy is a phenomenal passer and uh, you know, you, you have defenders there to answer yeah. some of the questions that Kispert might have. Um, right. And the guy is going to shoot the lights out. You know, I mean, Herder came in right away and, and was solid right away. And I feel like Kispert would come in and be able to play with that wing rotation um, on day one. And, and I think that would be a good fit. Uh, I mean, obviously Charlotte, yeah, dude. Playing with that group. I mean, that would be a lot of fun. LaMelo getting that dude shots in transition. <sighs> it would be like, it'd be like Suggs on steroids in the, you know, like that, that's what it would be like playing with him. Like Charlotte would be so much fun. I mean, then now you have Monk, Kispert, uh, <clears throat> Miles Bridges, mm-hmm. all running the break at the same time. Like, how do you guard that? You got Kispert and, and Monk on each wing and then Miles Bridges like running the pipe or as the, tra- like that's, that's so much fun i mean he's a guy like i just want to see him go to a place like that i mean again you mentioned golden state like that's obviously um a situation like even there with their pick like that you know that that could be um something that happens but that those are the situations to me that if you're going to invest in this kid that's those are the teams that are going to make the most of them yeah you know because look chicago's at 12 right now my team i would be thrilled to take Kispert because yeah. of, for all the reasons we mentioned, but ultimately like Zach Levine and Kobe white are not the playmakers that I want playing with Kispert. Now, granted, I don't think that's the long-term backcourt in Chicago, okay. you know? And, and uh, you know, I, I think that Levine is, I think they're going to try to lock him in long-term. Um, and I think, you know, his play this year has certainly altered the yeah. direction that the franchise was going. Cause coming into the year, I would have thought that Levine would be the one who is the, let's go get, let's turn this guy into assets and let's give right. Kobe the reins, especially coming off. Kobe had, you know, average over 20 points a game his last 10 games of the year last year. And this year he's playing point guard. And we've, I think clearly seen he is not the natural point guard. I think the reps that he's getting 
are really important for his career trajectory um, because it's going to help him down the line. But ultimately, you know, he is better off ball catch and shoot or being like uh, a microwave spark plug where it's just like, let me go get mine. I can create, I can hit these tough shots. Like, let me just go and flip this game. Oh, you're, we're down by 11. Well, I'm going to, in this six minute stretch, come off the bench. And now we're up seven somehow, you know, eight minutes later, he's that kind of player. That's not a bad thing, but ultimately I don't think it's the, you know, that pairing is going to be the starting backcourt for the Chicago Bulls. So maybe there's a playmaker who more makes sense um, in that. And maybe it, you know, worked out, but as it is, as it stands right now, like his to Chicago, you know, I don't think you maximize him in that regard based on the roster now, which again is, you know, these are projections that you can't think in, in the now a lot of times, but just some of the, like, those are the teams that I just look at and I go, oh, man, that'd be fun. But like Memphis and Charlotte, like th- that, that's my, those are my two like dream scenarios for Kispert. Um, I mean, yeah, Golden State too, Golden, you know, Golden State too. But, mm-hmm. but those, my, my two, my two dream scenarios are like Charlotte with LaMelo and those guys and, and Memphis. I think that's where, you know, you get the most bang for your buck for, for your investment. I, geez, man, I, just thinking about this is fun too. You know, yeah. I, I think this is probably why you and I are draft nerds because this stuff is fun, right? Just like, yeah, you know, thinking about these things, this is freaking fun. Even like, okay, this is not perfect, but imagine OKC, right? With SGA, mm-hmm. they've yeah. got, they've got two first rounders, right? Who knows what kind of voodoo they'll work, but let's say OKC ends up in like the top four. And they grab Suggs and they, they pair <laughs> Suggs and Kisper with SGA. That sounds a lot of fun too. Just like on and on, man. The possibilities are a lot of fun. But um, I, I agree with everything that you said. I think situation is huge, right? It, it's it's gigantic. And um, but once again, like even if my thing with Kispert is you're right about the context and the situation and being really important for him. But at the same time, on the other end, even if the situation isn't perfect, like you talked about with Chicago, I don't think that's going to keep him from being successful either. No, like it's yeah. Just talking about like maxing out his potential. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. But that's why I freaking love Corey Kispert so much. And Corey, if you're listening, dude, Corey, (laughs) we love you. We love you. And we, we really believe in you as a prospect. And I, I just, He's That's, a fellow Corey. I, I can't say yeah. anything bad about about a fellow Corey. He spells he spells Corey the right way with an e. So, <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm a Kispert guy. I'm a Kispert guy. He's got great yeah, hair, dude. Yeah, you know, yeah. What's what's that I, to like? I just feel like you know, and and this kind of goes back to why I loved Pritchard so much last year too. I like those like I really like known commodities. Maybe I'd be a bad GM if I was in NBA because <laughs> like I would I'd be so afraid to like swing for the fences all the time, but. Yeah, well, that's I, I that think, was that was yeah. the Chicago drafting style in the John Paxson era. Mm. You know, he came in to a situation where it was Eddie Curry, Tyson Chandler, right. Jamal Crawford. You know that group, which all of those guys um, had moments. I mean, Eddie Curry, you know, he had go. His, he had his heart thing, but like he was good his last year in Chicago. He was yeah. good, I think. You know, his first year in New York, right? Like, I, I think every people were pretty happy with him. You know, for yeah. you know. Yeah nominally happy um but he came into that situation where it was like all of the let's shoot for the stars try to like go for the potential guys he came in he drafted kirk heinrich my all-time favorite player the next year he he had three draft picks the next year drafted luol dang ben gordon and chris duhan all known commodities you know he always you know paxton uh always drafted from like big time schools you know like right. to up until you know his last kind of draft picks you know he took kobe white he took uh wendell carter you know from duke mm-hmm. uh you, you know you, you take laurie markin um you know you, all these guys from safe schools that aren't necessarily like the swing for the fence it was just like this is going to be a solid player and in a lot of cases you know for a while a long time it worked um and then, you know, you needed luck. You got Derrick Rose, you know, you get the first pick out of nowhere. You get Derrick Rose. Oh, how can I forget? Joe Kim Noah coming yeah. off back-to-back titles in Florida. Like that strategy could work. The problem mm-hmm. is with that strategy a lot of times is all of these players are solid. And a lot of these players show this potential that ultimately they're probably not all going to reach, like yeah. max out. 
And what happens with like fan bases, and I think a lot of times GMs, if they've been there and they've drafted these guys, is they fall in love with these players mm-hmm. and they overvalue these players and they don't cash in on all of the assets they have at the right time. Yeah. I think that maybe you see that with Boston a little bit. You know, they had all of these assets. They even have some of these players and you go, all right, well, if we traded, you know, look, these Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they are monster players, right? And I love Jalen Brown, love Mm -hmm. him. But maybe they win a title if they had, you know, put him in a Kawhi deal. I don't know. I I don't know. They very well could not have. They -hmm. very well could not have. But you don't know, like, if they who knows? Like, I'm sure that they're getting offers for Marcus smart all the time. And like, you see how you see how Marcus smart, how important he is to, to the team being out and, and the team kind of just teetering along, you know, just playing like whatever. So obviously like, he's a great player who is basically their entire identity, but ultimately like is not moving him because everybody's in love with him going to be the right decision in the long term. We don't know. They're still young guys. They still can put pieces, but ultimately I think, you know, a team like the the Celtics who have drafted all of these really good, solid players who have turned into more than, you know, you'd expect, um, you know, holding onto those assets. Now, granted Jalen Brown wasn't considered a safe pick at the time. He wasn't wasn't considered a safe pick. He was that raw athleticism guy. Um, But when you're looking at it from the like holding assets too long, which is something that I think happens with the teams that draft safe, solid players. That's the, you know, the, the co- the web that you can get caught in pretty easily, I think. So I think for you, ultimately, Corey, you're probably sitting at anywhere from like eight to 18, right? That's probably where you see him going or you'd be happy uh, with. Well, I, 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 I could see him, I think going in that range. Okay. I think right now I, you know, eight might be too early for me to see him going in that range um do i necessarily feel that that would be too early i don't know yet probably not because mm. i think what i think as a shooter um you know if he tops out in that way that's obviously worth it um comparatively but ultimately if you draft him that high there's a pretty decent chance that there's going to be you know a couple of players that are probably more valuable than he is and that's kind of the, the the risk you run um granted they might not be the players that you would expect them to be which is right. something that happens in every draft uh because situation and opportunity is is such a big important thing but uh you know i think that like 10 to 13 range is going to be his bread and butter where teams are going to really feel comfortable with with him ultimately i feel that, I feel that dude I, I i ultimately i think i agree with you too i think if i were a gm like i wouldn't be afraid to take him at eight but th- once mm. again i'm that's why I'm not a GM, right? I'm I'm just an idiot, idiot behind the microscope. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, dude, I, I just, you know, I, I really do love him. One thing, though, that I did want to address that you brought up, because I know this is a Kispert pod, but I, I just wanted to bring this up because you are a Bulls fan. Uh, <laughs> you guys are going to have to pay Levine or and Markinen, right, this offseason. I, I Levine, I, Levine next, Markinen right. this, this season. Although I could see us working on an extension with Zach if that's something okay. he wanted to do. I wanted to hear your thoughts on marketing because I don't think I've ever heard you talk about marketing, but I still like marketing, but just wondering what your thoughts on him and, you know, with you guys still having Wendell Carter too. I'm a huge Laurie fan, Uh, probably bigger than a lot of the Bulls fan base. I thought that he was playing so well this year. Uh, He's easily been more you know so much more aggressive this year than he was last year i think last year was a year where he took a step back because we had one of the worst coaches that's ever coached in the nba um and this year he looked it was a misdevelopment year and it's unfortunate because this year he looks like the player um that has you know that took off in year two where he put up 19 and 8 on like good percentages and this year he's shooting over 40 percent from three he's doing more off the bounce he's in just more he's in position uh to succeed this year. So his play, I think is valuable. I think he gets like, he's not a, a, a great defender. It, it's probably hard to, I, I don't maybe qualify him as a good defender because ultimately you want him to be able to defend up to the five and, you know, protect the rim. But I think as a four, like he's adequate. I don't think he's a guy personally. I don't think he's a guy that kills you. I think he's just like, he's not going to, 
alter your, your defense either way, but I, I know that I'm probably on an Island in that opinion. Um, and I don't know what the numbers say, but whatever, uh, defensive metrics to me are, are hard to quantify in, yes. on an individual basis. Um, but I, I think that he has real value and, and like, I don't know if it's going to be on Chicago. I think that when we get to the deadline, we'll see how the front office feels because mm-hmm. if they don't move him, I fully, I don't think they're going to lose an asset for nothing, which means that I think they'll match what he gets offered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they, they're going to want to get a deal done because I think that, uh, you know, he's a, every organization wants a guy who can shoot the ball. And when you're seven feet and can shoot the ball and it's hard to, and he, he's not just a spot up shooter. He's a guy that can shoot off the bounce and do some other things. He could grab and go and take it full court. And, um, you know, I, I think that he's a guy that I hope that the bulls keep around, um, at least, you know, to see what they have in him for the next few years on whatever contract. Cause ultimately I don't think some team's going to offer him the max, you know, yeah. my only thing with him that worries me and the, the, the one you know, thing that would make me go the other way is that, um, you know, he gets these knickknack injuries a lot and, mm-hmm. you know, being available is a valuable skill, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and it's some that's been one of the big problems with the bulls front court. Wendell Carter. I love, you know, he, he does a lot. Again, he looked terrible last year because our terrible coach, um, but he's a guy, he could pass a little bit. He, when he's shooting with confidence, he can knock down a shot. Uh, he can, you know, post up and go with either hand. He, he could rebound. He could, he protects the rent. He does, he's smart. He does all the, but he doesn't stay on the floor all the time. So it's like yeah. you, you have both of these guys and sometimes it overlaps. Like it has this year where neither one of them, you know, were able mm-hmm. to be on the floor at the same time. Uh, so availability is key and, and, Going forward, to me, that's the one thing that we need to figure out the Bulls front court. Can either of these guys prove that they could just stay healthy for us, you know, a, a sustained period of time? So that's mm-hmm. my only worry about the Bulls front court. Otherwise, you know, I think they kind of fit well. And it's more about like, and the other thing with with both of those guys, we've never seen them play with a real point guard. Right. And and or a playmaker, rather. Right. You know, it's all of it's this, you know, these misfit guys, this these miscast guys right. in role of playmaker. Zach Levine's not a primary playmaker. You know, he's, he's gotten better, but he's not Kobe white has gotten a lot better this year as a playmaker, but he's not a lead playmaker. Right. Uh, Tomas Sadoransky is not a lead oh, playmaker, you know? He, yeah. uh, uh, so we, we've never got to see them with a guy who could just make plays and just get them looks in their, you know, in their sweet spots. Hmm. So with a lot of the bulls players, it's like you find the right guy. And man, I think some of those guys would really take off without having to just like individually prove their worth. And and I think that you're seeing just how much a playmaker like Thad Young, who right. who who Stacy King has nicknamed uh, Thadjic Johnson because of mm-hmm. his playmaking this year, and you see how much that has helped the these guys. Um, and you say, well, what could a guy, you know, a, a lead wing initiator? what could, the lead point guard what could they do for these guys games i don't think it's going to come from the draft for this team because i think mm-hmm. you don't want it you know we're at a point with these guys where you're like you want an established guy to come in and, and be able to right away write the ship not like learn the role and learn how to play with these guys um but that's what i want to see and that, and that's my feeling on a marketing i've never got to see mm-hmm. him play with the right you know pick and roll partner pick and pop partner or anything like that so I, I think the reason why I asked was because when I watch him play, um, I see that now, man, I hope you don't kill me for this one. <laughs> Sometimes when I watch Zay Todd play, I see some marketing in him. Is that mm. crazy? Um, I feel like, of course, Zay Todd is smaller. I get yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, but there's something there. And so like, my thing is like, I wonder how, obviously this is a Kispert pod, but I wonder how teams are going to evaluate Zay Todd once the time comes. Mm. Because like, dude, he's a freaking pure shooter. Like, dear yeah. God, the jump shot looks amazing. And um, But yeah, the, the, that's the only reason why I asked about marketing and like how you evaluate him. Because like sometimes when I watch Zay Todd, I see some of that. And, um, and also I think- for the record, for the record, um, I really like Gafford that you guys have. I, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Gafford. I really like no, that dude. No, I like that. Gafford's your classic like block yeah. shots, catch lots guy. You know, I, yeah. he's he's a guy that one night looks like an absolute monster, and the next night looks like he's <laughs> never played basketball before. But ultimately, he's another guy that like 
you would like him to play with Chris Paul and not right. Kobe White. You know, like um, you want him to play with the right lob threat partner. And and if he f- gets that, you know, a lot like Mitchell Robinson, um, mm-hmm. you know, those players end up looking a hell of a lot better than, you know, when you're just got this hodgepodge group of guys trying to, you know, run pick and roll with them. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I feel you on Zay Todd. Markinen's got more like off the bounce stuff. Yeah. Um, but Zay Todd, I, people are going to talk about him. You know, he had some big games in, in the bubble. Um, and you and, know, I, like I said, I didn't I, see all of Zay Todd yet. Cause that team he played on too. Yeah. I mean, look, it, yeah, he's a guy. I like him. I think you like him. You definitely like him more than most. I like him more <laughs> than most. Ultimately. I think that most people have not watched him in depth um, or really watched him outside of like swish highlights. Right. Like, and uh, again, like if he was a, at college, he'd be a guy. I think that would be talked about a lot more as a lottery prospect. Um, but I, I think ultimately NBA teams are going to have better Intel on him than a lot of, other college prospects they're they're going to look at what he did against and what he was able to do how he fits into an nba offense because they've already seen it they don't have to yeah. do guesswork like they have to do with some so i i think that he might go higher than some of uh the internet kind of thinks that he will but same but yeah he's he's interesting but uh what are you give me your finishing thoughts on kispert <sighs> i don't know if there's Fish. anything else that you could say uh... to to express your <laughs> your feelings on him <laughs> that I, I, you have expressed. Just, yeah, this this is my my uh my man crush for this draft. I, I love Kispert. I've been talking about Kispert for months now. You and I we've talked a lot about Kispert too, but uh but yeah, my biggest thing with Kispert is like this is my challenge to NBA GMs. Hey, if you have like a a team that's like right at the cusp of the playoffs and you end up in you know like that mid lottery to late lottery, do not be afraid to grab Kispert. Like I know GMs, listen, like I know you guys want to swing for the fences, but Kispert is going to be a guy. He's coming from a winning program with Mark Few and, and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. He's going to come in and he's going to do damage for you guys. I Trust me. He's going to be a really, really good player. I, I, yeah, I'm probably as high as you can get on Kispert um, than anyone else out there. But uh, I just want to say, like, hey, my finishing, my closing thoughts on Kispert He's freaking beautiful. He's a beautiful <laughs> human being. He's a beautiful player. And I can't wait to see him on the next level. Um, yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. Beautiful hair, beautiful jump shot. Corey Kispert. All right, guys, thank you for, um, for listening to the pod. Make sure that you rate it, subscribe, leave a comment, all of that good stuff. I would, I would appreciate it. I know Albert would appreciate it. Um, yep. thank you so much guys. Uh, Until next time, uh, peace.